gotta pay a little price. If you want it bad enough, you gotta do a little extra things to get it. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me, as always, my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond Rich. How we doing? Jordan, happy new year. Happy new year. Um, I'm not sure for the Rams fans that it uh, felt a whole lot different. 2022, but that's just going to be the case here for a little while. And then we can all turn the page and maybe celebrate New Year's Day like next Monday or something. Then it'll yeah. feel like a new that year. That feels more like my schedule, my internal clock. That feels more like New Year to me is the the yeah. day after the last game of the season. What a what a strange run here. Like, I mean, I don't want to get too inside baseball here. Like one thing I've learned over 20 years is that, uh, you know, people people don't care about uh, our schedules too much. But my goodness, like working Christmas Day, working New Year's Day, I think you got to practice on Thanksgiving. Like this is the, this is like the nightmare schedule. Uh, but I think I saw because of like leap year, this isn't going to happen again until like 2033 or something like that. So, you know, at least there's that to enjoy. Right. You know, you won't have to uh, to, to deal with that uh, for, for another uh, 12 years or so. But uh but, uh, well, Jordan, I, I don't know. I mean, we sit here every week, right? And it, it, obviously, it's another Rams loss. It's a loss to the Chargers. Nobody's happy about it. Uh, it to, to sit here and kind of really spend a ton of time dissecting the game itself and what went wrong and who did this and who did that. I don't know whether there's a whole lot of um, uh, point to that. Let's yeah. let's be honest. The problems um, were the yeah. problems. Have been the problems were the problems before are the problems right. now. Exactly. And but, you know, the one thing that uh, that I think we can take away here and, and I can't imagine what it's what it's like to write off of some of these games. But but the, the point um, uh, major parts of points of your column that ran on the athletic app and website, everybody should check it out now if they haven't already, um, is is really looking forward to here. here. And, and I think what we've talked about the last couple of weeks is what can you learn from these games? What can you apply for for the offseason applying into next season? And Jordan, I thought you had some really good points in your column about the defense in particular. And again, we're not going to get into Raheem Morris and the scheme and who did this. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what they can apply from these games, what they can learn from them, what they need to change in the offseason, whether it's personnel, maybe even some scheme stuff. Yes. Um, they've been playing here without Aaron Donald, which obviously makes things very difficult. You don't have the best defensive player in the world on the field. It's going to make winning games a lot harder. Uh, but I think, Jordan, that maybe it's an opportunity to see without Aaron Donald out there how this defense looks, how these particular players perform, how they do fit in once you do get Aaron Donald back on the field. And the entire point of this is to build your defense around Aaron Donald. So, Jordan, you wrote some of this. So I, I uh, you know, apologize for making you repeat some of it. But for, for our for our audience here. What do you think the Rams are learning both about that that defensive front and and maybe even that that outside pass rush uh, that they can take into the offseason and and learn lessons from? Yeah, so I think I'll start with the interior because it was pretty that that was the pretty much the clearest problem last night. Uh, we're recording this on Monday uh, afternoon, and that was pretty much the clearest issue was, you know, for really the first time all year a team was just really successfully running the ball against this group. Now they've had some 
sporadic moments where like a mobile quarterback has attacked them in certain ways and been successful or they've had uh you know that that uh uh explosive run touchdown against San Francisco early in the year sticks out and some of these things um you you remember in in spurts and flashes but overall um even when they were missing Aaron Donald um, since I think it was week 13 and then Ashawn Robinson missing him since week 12 and then now featuring a very limited Greg Gaines, those three starters, they still up until this week 17 loss to, to the Chargers, they still maintained a top five ranking in EPA per rush, which is, again, a situational statistic for those unfamiliar and really contextually important to what is actually happening every down of a of a, a series and also top five in yards allowed per carry, which is maybe more of the mainstream stat that people look at. So good in both places. Right. <laughs> and um, then obviously, you know, Sunday happened and it's one of those where you sort of, you look at the way that the chargers were running the ball and they were moving the ball and moving their gaps in a way that was, putting a lot of stress on the front other teams minus Aaron minus Ashawn and um, minus Greg, they were putting a lot of onus on the inside linebacker. So moving the contact point to where the inside linebackers had to do more immediately in gaps instead of uh, sort of that one, two punch of front middle. And um, you could see the chargers. They were just, and, and I think part of this is Brandon Staley's familiarity with that front that the Rams had in the backups that they were playing, they were like, no, we're going to do, we're just going to go right at you. And they did some outside stuff too. But again, they were moving the, 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 you know, inflection point. So the onus was on these really inexperienced depth players and the communication and sort of making the lives of the backers behind them a little bit harder, which neither Ernest or Bobby wanted to say was, an issue. And and Bobby said, you know, I'm not going to make excuses, but you could really see they were out of position. They were out of their gaps because of some of the ways that the front was struggling. And that to me is an outlier. So what I think you look at when you head into the season is who are you looking at to fill in for one of the interior linemen who will be leaving you? And so far to me, the front runner has been Marquise Copeland because I think he's really showed a lot of potential. And he's another player who's battling through injury. He's got a high ankle sprain that he should not be playing on, but is because, again, he's trying to get a job and um, knows that the Rams, everyone knows that the Rams, you know, in a perfect world, you'd like to be able to extend Deshaun Robinson and you'd like to be able to extend Greg Gaines. And Aaron Donald has made it very clear he'd love to play with both long term. But financially, it's it's not going to be feasible to extend both. And part of that is because of how well they've played. And some of it, too, has to do with draft status and compensatory picks and, and whatnot. Because Ashawn Robinson is probably going to have a really solid market. Greg Gaines, I think, would have a good market, too. But at the same time, he is, I think, a little bit less known and a little bit less, um, you know, he, he he doesn't necessarily have that the same background that Aishan has as a, as a top draft pick and someone who has started for years and years and someone who has developed a rep- reputation as the best, one of the best, if not the best run defenders in the league and such a difference maker in that phase. And that market's going to really explode. It looks like to me, that's what executives across the league are saying that interior D- DL market is probably going to 
really, really take off um, this offseason. So the Rams look at that and they say, okay, so we can't extend both of these guys. And we probably, if if Ashawn, if it is true that Ashawn will demand a high market, then it's probably a more logical scenario that he is the person who departs in free agency and then becomes a comp pick down the road. A, a higher round comp pick, too, is what they would be hoping for in that regard. So now you're looking at Aaron Donald, Greg Gaines, if if they can extend Greg, which I think they should try. And um, and you're also looking at probably Marquise Copeland, who's who will come in. But you still need to keep developing some of these other guys who I think have played well in certain phases. Jonah Williams, I think, has has looked solid. Um, but, you know, you really need to. And Bobby Brown has showed some potential, but, you know, it hasn't been consistent. And then he had the suspension. So they need more from him. And you're looking at developing these guys who are kind of been thrown into the fire at this moment in time. Laurel Murchison, who played really well as a pass rusher um, a, a couple of weeks ago. You really want to see more consistency down the stretch because these you don't have these players now and you're not going to have these players next week against Seattle. So you really need to figure out what they can be capable of while you build your, especially your run defense um, for next year. Any initial thoughts, Rich? Because I've been rambling. <laughs> No, I know no. We want to I, talk about the pass rush too, but <laughs> right. No, I mean, I, I think these are these is exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, these are the decisions you don't want these players to not be in the lineup. But if there's one thing that it affords you the opportunity to do, it's to take a look at some of these other guys and how are they going to fit in. Again, I, I would just and I'll, I'll maybe push it forward here a little bit. Is is I I think as long as you have Aaron Donald, we've said this consistently for a couple of years now, as long as you have Aaron Donald on the field, and we don't know how long that's going to be, you know, there, there is a, there is an end point there. He's not going to keep playing forever. He's probably not going to keep playing for as long as he could. Uh, but as long as he's there, he is the focal point. He's the sun that that defense is going to revolve around. And I know Jalen Ramsey's in that conversation also, but we're talking specifically about mm-hmm. the defensive front here. Um, and and I think that the, the the thing you have to get right, the, the the A1 on the list is how do you build around that, whether it's whether it's the specific players and their skill sets, uh, whatever it may be. How do you complement Aaron Donald the right way? What choices are you going to have to make there? And I think, as you said, Jordan, uh, some of that is going to be with the interior and and figuring out who can who you can afford and who the best player is uh, to put next to Aaron Donald. But as we've seen in the past and going back to the Super Bowl run last year, that also has to be complemented on the outside. And and that's one thing I think you can consistently say here is that the Rams haven't had that. And so what what can we learn? <laughs> I think I know the answer here without without ask, asking the question. But I mean, what 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 can we apply in terms of that outside rush in terms yeah. of complementing Aaron on the outside uh, that that can really improve this defense going into the, to next season? Yeah, so it's it's really interesting to me because the one thing that teams could not do all year on the Rams is run the ball, and so that put offenses in sort of this compartmentalized space where they also knew that the Rams were going to cap explosives. We've been over. Uh, ad nauseum as to why, but as a quick repeater, um, explosives, explosive pass plays, explosive run plays as defined by teams and professional analytics companies. And like I said, not uh, sort of the mainstream front page of your Google uh, stats, actual stats, analytics and statistics are pass plays of 16 plus yards and run plays of 12 plus yards. You could also do like 10 and 20. That's to me, uh, a little bit lazier within the context of football, but um, pass plays of 16 plus 
um, run plays of 12 plus. So we know that those plays, um, they triple, if you have just one of those plays on a drive, it triples scoring rate, whether it's a field goal or a touchdown pass plays, especially. Um, and you can't run, you haven't been able to run the ball against the Rams and they've been capping explosive. So what have they done? Okay. So they've decided to teams have decided since there's only one way to beat this team, that's the way they're going to spam, which is the quick game down the field, uh, very disciplined for a quarterback, uncomfortable for a quarterback. Aaron Rodgers said a couple weeks ago he absolutely hated the way the defense played him and forced him into those little compartmentalized spaces. Um, really tough for a quarterback to be patient, really tough for a quarterback to stay disciplined in that space. And it's really, really reliant on making no mistakes and no mistakes from playmakers, not just the quarterback. So the Rams try to flip the probabilities in that regard because they also knew that they weren't scoring. The problem is when it becomes the only way that teams can beat you and you also are not pass rushing consistently, the Rams have the wor- have had the worst pressure rate all season and it correlates directly with teams getting the ball out at record speeds against them because again, there is only one way to beat them and they can't consistently rush. Then you're thinking about different ways to bring pressure because you're not getting pressure and teams are getting the ball out quick because not only are you not getting pressure consistently, you can't, you're running, you don't have a lot of ways to do it because you can't consistently rush for. So now, you know, you start sending different blitz blitz options. Well, who are the players you use to blitz with inside linebackers, safeties and cornerbacks, right? And so now you're taking away extra players who could better uh, hold the integrity of that cloudy match zone especially in the underneath concepts, especially in the roving concepts that they'd like to be playing with that have sort of feature underneath players that are in what looks a little bit more like a man is still a zone, but looks a little bit more like a man concept. If those players are being sent to pressure or um, like I said, like I explained in the comment section of my column, if those players are, um, you know, sent forward and creating voids behind them, those voids become available for the quarterback to hit. If you can picture that um, in in your head. And then the other problem becomes if you're not rushing for consistently getting pressure with four players is what we mean by rushing for. Um, if you're not rushing for consistently and you can't effectively do that to the point where they know you'll become dependent on blitz pressure, et cetera, et cetera. And they can get the ball out quick, uh, not just to beat that kind of pressure, but also to hit those voids. Then you're like, okay, so we still know that what we what we can do is um, not give a quarterback his A-plus option. And the way you don't give a quarterback your A-plus option in the coverage is you don't offer him the idea of explosives. You don't offer him the isolation matchups. You play that, like I said, you play that shell zone and you're supposed to swarm to the ball and tackle, which is very important and been an issue. And you're supposed to tackle and you're supposed to come downhill very hard outside of that, uh, out of that cushion and hard into whoever the pass catcher is, whoever the ball carrier is. And the cushion sort of alleviates some of the stress that you're, you know, putting on your defense because you don't have a pass rush um, because the quarterback is, you know, you still want to take away some of his choices and a zone, this match zone um, can do that, especially when you have players who are not necessarily man coverage players. Jalen Ramsey, who is an outstanding man coverage player, has said that he like he is feels better when he's playing zone concepts and does, you know, 
has wanted to be in this role that he's in, in those zone concepts, because he can do more because he affects more of what the quarterback is limited on the other side and doing He affects the game. But the problem is like, I, I have to say like, this is not the type of zone that, that they're supposed to be playing. So like, that's the nuance here guys. And it's just like, I understand that not everyone will like hear this, <laughs> I mean, you guys are all listening to it, but I understand not everyone will hear it. And it's, 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 there's multiple things that are true that we've said all year. Like, this is not the type of zone that they, this, this defense is constructed to play. The way that you've actually, on the converse, the way that you've seen Brandon Staley's secondary might even minus some, some playmakers, um, work the different coverage structures that they've done and sort of shape shifted against a variety of teams. That's what this is supposed to look like. But I posit that they're getting way better pressure on the quarterback. And yes, he sent a couple blitzes against Baker Mayfield to test him out and test out the communication a little bit yesterday. Um, but overall, this defense is at its best, at its most functional, when you can play a really aggressive match zone, which a lot of people don't consider actually looks a lot like man the way that if you, you know, you're literally supposed to constrict downward out of the shell and match on top of routes, which meaning, which means you are jumping over routes. You're, you're matching on top of routes. And it's kind of like the, um, the near interception. Uh, I forget the player's name, Baker Mayfield, where uh, the player, the, the DB was sitting right on top of the route. I think it was in the second half. Yeah. Ta- Taylor maybe was his, he was sitting right on top of his near pick could have been a pick six. That's, that's what it's supposed to look like when Troy Hill has played, the most aggressive underneath, like that's what it's supposed to look like. It's not supposed to be like this, but between limited personnel and specifically, I would say limited personnel in the way that the front and coverage are supposed to correlate. Um, that's, that's what the problem has been. You're basically like you're picking the lesser of two evils, which is capping the explosive play that can completely turn the game on its head. And especially when you have an offense that, Overall, yes, I know they dropped a 50-burger the other day, but overall has not scored points this season. So you you can't, you, you have to pick the least of the evils and commit to it and be disciplined and commit to it because on the other side, things can get really lopsided in a hurry if you are allowing those explosive explosive plays. And no, I mean, I, I get it. Like it can be frustrating to watch um, for people. And like, to me, a lot of it to me seems like deeply psychological as to like, what, you know, who is frustrated by this and why, and like kind of the intrinsic reasons, like people don't like hearing the word soft. Like, you know, we describe, we describe like press man as aggressive and we describe a, you know, takeaway frenzy zone, an aggressive, right. smart, savvy match, shape-shifting match zone as soft. And like, no, you don't want that much cushion in your coverage, especially on third down. The the amount of zone that the Rams have played on third down is absolutely unacceptable. Like you don't want that. So I'm like, let's all hold these things in our brain at the same time, right? Like it's it, it it's it's unacceptable that they are stuck in this wet in this phase, but you they cannot make a wholesale shift with the personnel that they have, whether it's up front or in back. And that's why you're going to see, you know, you are going to see people depart in the secondary. I don't think you're going to see a schematic shift wholesale, but you are going to see more of what this thing is supposed to look like if the Rams do what they need to do and go out and get a premier pass rusher 
on the opposite side of Leonard Floyd, which they also, by the way, guys, they knew it's not like I was just saying this for shits and giggles all year. Like they knew they went out and tried to resign Von yeah. Miller. Yeah. They um, were sort of in a frozen holding pattern in the summer thinking, oh, you know, maybe Justin Hollins and Trell Lewis will emerge, which in their minds they didn't. And they cut them. They went out and aggressively pursued the edge rusher market and were in on multiple people um, in the, you know, ahead of the trade deadline. They made the aggressive offer for Brian Burns. Like these are all things that they're aware of. They know what the issue is. They know how this defense best functions. And it is when you can rush for aggressively and play an aggressive match zone on the other side. They haven't been able to do that for a variety of, of personnel reasons. And also because they haven't had complimentary football through most of the year. Now, I do believe that they want to get back to that, but they're going to have to make some dramatic changes in the way that they, sh- they, um, you know, have, certain personnel um, in those different phases between the rush and the coverage. Well, yeah, I mean, this is I, rant, I, I rant think, over. I see no. you have the, uh, the USC game on in the background and I'm like, oh, no, I'm ranting that I can't I can't. Uh, I'm taking Rich away from the Trojans no, right now and I'm how ranting did, and it's how, all. How, how did you know that? Actually, yes, I, I can see it in your it. glasses. You can see it in my glasses. Yeah. You see the red. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's actually funny as you're talking about that. It just coincides with, uh, USC's defense, uh, giving up like 90 yards in two plays or something like that. And I think about all their fans who are uh, feeling the same angst about their defense, but it's, it's so funny, Jordan, like you say, <laughs> it, it, it's almost like the terminology sometimes like starts to impact you, right? Cause you use the word soft zone and, and it implies like you're playing soft or your, your or players are soft. Yeah. Yeah, you're not you're weak. physical. You're yeah, weak. it's it's yeah. not it's it's very specific. Or like when to, you can't see the I get it though. Like when you can't see the safeties on the screen, you panic, right? Like your brain goes right, like, wait, right. this is not right. Like I, I get it, guys. Like I understand. I'm not like shitting on anyone for psychological triggers. Like right. I'm just saying it's it's very interesting. I've I lurk a lot on on Twitter and everything, and and it's just been very, very interesting. There's a huge differentiation between like people who are curious about wanting to know what's happening and why, and like doesn't like what's happening, but still understands what, why it's happening. And then people who are like, bleep, 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 spam, spam, like all this stuff. And like, it's, oh man, it's crazy out there in these streets, guys. <laughs> it, it really is. And it, yeah, it's just, but that's why I think you have to look at this kind of holistically and say, well, this is not, like you said, Jordan, this is not the the ideal. This is not the model. This is no. not the. It's not what um, the scheme looks like. We know no. what it looks like, guys. <laughs> we know right. what the scheme looks like. It's right. not you, what it's supposed to look like. You saw it last year. I mean, you and you saw it at, at different times. So, and but that's where you circle back to. I mean, this is this is where you you this is what you're going to apply from these games. I mean, these are these are lost games at this point. This is not something that. Uh, you're really going to look at game by game. Like I know fans want to win every game, they want, but it, it's it's really about looking this and saying like, how what can you learn from this? What can you apply? What are the weaknesses that you have to address? And and like you said, Jordan, I mean, said it very well. That they, they know this stuff. I mean, the fact that they were aggressive as they were with some of their trade talks or or right. uh, offering as much as they did for Von Miller. I mean, this is an indication that they fully were aware of what their weaknesses were and, and that they tried to address them. So how they go about doing that in the offseason? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. 
I'm, I'm going to guess, Jordan, you haven't uh, done a huge deep dive into the draft class um, <laughs> no. at this point, and, and neither have I. So uh, <laughs> I can, we can't really speak to that. That'll be a conversation for a month or two from now, uh, but uh, certainly something to be looked into. Yeah. And, and I will say one more thing too, like every coach now I try to stay connected across, you know, the league, not just within the Rams building, but every coordinator, every coach, every quarterback, every backup quarterback, every scout team quarterback that I have ever asked this question of, um, as I try to find out like what is coming next in the NFL says that has said that this is the absolute best defensive scheme to play if you want to irritate the absolute hell and antagonize a quarterback as long as you're also rushing the passer. Okay, so that's really telling to me, right? And then people saying things like, you know, there's a whole rabbit hole we could go down. But basically, I'm not just saying this because it's an opinion I'd like to have. I personally would like to see better play on every side of the ball from the team that I cover on a daily basis. Like I just, you know, it's more fun that way for everybody, for the players, for the coaches, for the media, it's just better. Right. But I'm not just saying that because it's just like a fun little hill to die on. I'm saying it because it's like, this job is about understanding why things are happening. It's about figuring out what is going on and why it's happening, not necessarily like taking stands on things, which is what I don't want to do and never want to come off as doing. It's about explaining why stuff is happening and the path toward fixing it. And it's also like something that you don't just pull out of your butt. Like you really, you study it. I mean, I don't, I can't speak for everybody, but like you study it. Like these are things I'm not trying to present information on hunches or whims like when i said last spring the rams need to go out and get a pass rusher that is an absolute you know at that time an absolute priority it's because of all of these things that we're talking about right now it's not because i just think oh it'd be really fun to have another pass rusher let's try that out kind of a thing it's because there's an actual strategy and direction and functionality of an interdependent ecosystem that a team is and a scheme is that is absolutely crucial and uh, to understand and to sort of um it's just funny it's like it's it's not just theory it's like actual you know strategy like this is what the strategy has to be yeah and and this is uh we're, we're setting ourselves up nicely here jordan i think for the uh for the off season uh for for some of our uh, <laughs> i know uh, it's, i think it's gonna be crazy i think she says literally with her hand on top of her forehead, like so that she, she can already feel her uh, her blood pressure and her temperature uh, uh, rising. But no, I mean, it, it is and it, it's it's pretty clearly defined here. Right. I mean, we we know uh, you, you, we're going to know what the storylines are going into the offseason. It's not a mystery here, especially on the on the defensive side of the ball. But Jordan, let, let's 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 pivot a little bit because we've spent quite a lot of time talking about the defense here. But there are a couple things on the offensive side. I want to start. We, we've been talking about a lot of negatives here, right? Which is which is kind of obvious in the. Well, the uh, Rams are five and eleven. So yeah, well, what are you going to do, right? <laughs> what are you going to do? Um, but I I want to talk about what might be the single most joyful play of the of the, of the season, which is Cam Akers absolutely standing up I, it was nazir ad early right i believe it was on on a on a pass block on a pass pro 
which is just like if if you if you have to put one you know play in a in a time capsule uh to to uh, explain the the journey that that Cam Akers has been on uh, for him to be in that game to begin with after where they were mid-season and to be in that in that play and make that play on top of his great game uh i i love the reaction to i love it when players just honestly speak and and tell you things and i know you talked to cam makers after the game and his reaction to the play is just absolutely priceless isn't it yeah um so that was such a cathartic like it just really felt like he was just exorcising like the whole year in that, I mean, because he followed through the little clip the Rams tweeted out doesn't do it full justice. You got to go back and watch like the full thing. He followed through like he was trying to put Nazir Adderley underneath the ground. Like it was a hell of a block. And Cam, I think, has built on so many things in the positive over the last month. And but I think he's also there's a lesson here for the Rams. And I've alluded to this and written about this and um, even when the situation was unfolding with him earlier this year, wrote about it as well, is um, coaching to what your players need and providing the clarity that they need, not just sort of putting everyone in a box. I think that that is something that's really important. It's something that Thomas Brown's really gifted at. Sean McVay has been um, very outspoken in his praise of Thomas Brown, but also in his praise of what Cam has done and how Cam has taken that and, no pun intended, run with it. And you saw in that block, that was sort of the culmination, like the catharsis of like, it was basically like, that I'm back, you know, that, that famous, like, uh, what was it? Michael Jordan, the famous, like not comparing the two, obviously, but like, it was like the, just the two, the two little words on the big piece of paper, like he's back. And I think that if the Rams can like, you know, continue the lessons they've learned from the situation and cam can continue the lessons he's learned from the situation, I think that's super positive progress. And I think that's something to build off of. And I talked to him, um, after the the um, initial sort of media uh, scrum dissipated, and I I just asked him I was like what was your what was going through your head at that time and and he goes oh well and then he started laughing and so I just sort of stood there and he was just like you might have to uh, you might have to bleep it out and I was like oh <laughs> and he goes <laughs> he goes I just told him you're too effing little <laughs> and I was like wait. <laughs> You said that to him? And he goes, yeah, I said to him, you're too effing little. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Because you hear, like, all the linemen say that Cam, like, chatters between snaps and stuff. Like, he's he talks to himself. He's hyping himself up. He talks to everyone around him. Like, Andrew Whitworth was really, just really loved that about him in his rookie season um, and mentioned it. And, you know, Rob Havenstein is, like, tickled to death by it. Sitting next to him on the bench, he's still doing it. And so that's why I asked him because I was like, I, you had to have said something. And he remembers exactly what he said. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and was so honest about it. I was like, okay, this rocks. This dude's back. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. I mean, it's just really, really good stuff. And and yeah, it's it's interesting, Jordan. Like I hear, I, I don't want to go to, I'm, I'm going to go on a, on a little rant in a second here. I, I don't want to. Oh, good. Uh, it is your turn. I think I've, I've been stealing all of the rant time here today. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's fine. I, I, you, you do a much better job with it uh, than I do, but you know, I, you hear during the, the broadcast and, and, you know, the broadcasters get access to the coaches uh, during the week. And, and, and that's a really good thing. It, it, it allows them to kind of inform their, uh, their broadcast, inform their insight because they talk to coaches and, and people in the organization, but it also kind of, 
it, it, it puts it in a certain color, like it, it becomes the narrative be kind of becomes what they hear. And and in this case, like you heard a lot about Cam Akers and oh, Cam Akers did this. Cam Akers changed. Cam Akers got bad. And it became kind of the whole narrative through the broadcast of like, well, Cam Akers had to do this. Cam Akers had to do that. It was like, OK, but, you know, there's another side to this, too. There's another mm-hmm. side to, you know, the Rams also had to come to a certain place. And, and I'm not saying it was you know, 75, 25, one way or 80, 20. I don't, I don't know what it was. I don't, it, it's not important, but, but they both had to make some movement in, in this area. And, and I, I hope that doesn't get lost. And I, I know it's not lost um, when we talk about you, Jordan and, and your coverage, uh, but, but I hope it doesn't get lost uh, when, when the story of when kind of when the story of Cam Akers is told in the story um, of the season is that they both made uh, some, some progress. They both came to kind of meet each other uh, where they needed to be. And and I think that's uh, that's a great thing. It's it's a great takeaway, um, but um, also something that um, you know I, I think bears kind of uh, yeah. noting or you know bears uh, discussing when it comes to this sort of thing. So they don't. They there are only a few players that they do talk to. Um, the broadcast crews do talk to over the course of the week, and it's a lot of coaches and PR staff and um, who the broadcast job is to put on a show and hopefully it's informative and fun and um, helps the viewer understand what is actually happening. Um, But it also is a show and there's a lot of sort of script writers in the, in the background um, for any, for any team uh, throughout the course of the week. And I will say, I did want to now, you know, you kind of reminded me USC playing. I actually really want to shout out Mark Sanchez because um, there are, yeah. and I think Andrew Whitworth also falls in this category because there are broadcasters who you just like, I don't see during the week and it was a little different during the Super Bowl season. They were really good and everyone was there, wanted to be there all the time. So it's a little bit different, but there are broadcasters who I don't see during the week. I don't see out of practice. Um, and it's not a criticism at all that they can choose, you know, if there's a team that's it's better to spend that time with than they should be with that team. Like it's not a criticism at all, but I will say that even in like some of the worst, like the worst billings or bookings ever for Mark Sanchez, I always see him out on the field, just getting as much Intel and as much insight as he can from uh, the people who are, you know, out there doing the job. And he also comes into the media room and he talks to Gary Klein at the LA times for, an extended period of time to understand whatever what's going on to feel he has someone coming into the building what's coming on andrew whitworth calls beat writers before amazon the amazon broadcast andrew whitworth is in first year broadcasting he calls the people who are on the ground every single day and wants to talk to them about what they're seeing what they're feeling what the vibe is in the locker room um, what players are saying and to me i've got so much respect for that because you know, there you can you can be a part of the script and you can be a part of the um, sort of production of all of this, and that is admirable. And it, and these crews they do a fantastic job. But when you're on the ground every day, when you're a player, when you're a beat writer, when you're anyone, you really really notice who goes above and beyond to try to get the full picture and the full context of what is happening um, versus maybe you know kind of what was on the top of the stack of the media notes that they were handed that day. 
Yeah, absolutely. And like, I, I this is going to sound like piling on now because I really, and I'm not, and I'm not yeah. criticizing anybody at all. No, they, but, their job is really hard and they do yeah. like all of these crews to me. I don't think there's a bad one. I think they all do no. such a great job, but it is interesting. You do notice, especially, and I've, it's been cool to see like people who are so young sort of professionally in, in like the, um, or new to the profession who are sort of lifting up all the rocks and looking underneath all the rocks. And I just think right. to me, that's a cool detail is all it's not to take away from anyone else, but it is a really cool detail in my mind. Yeah, no. And, and you you can tell. And I mean, especially when you're talking about the analysts and a lot of the play by play people, it, it, it should be said. I mean, they, they're they're also, you know, hopscotching around the, the country sometimes to do different things. You know, they're they're doing, uh, you know, college basketball one day and then they're going to do, you know, something else and then they're doing an NFL game. So it's not, you know, they, they might not during the week have the ability to, you know, sit in on practices and things like that. But but others do. And and you talk about Mark Sanchez as a guy who and you, you can tell when when you know, when he listen when you listen to him, when, when you watch the game, uh, you, you can tell that he's done his homework on these on these things and you can you can tell the difference so and it's sometimes not it's not what they bring up but what they don't bring up as opposed mm. to what the sort of sexy topics are to bring up that's a great from, point from others yeah yeah that, that's a great point and and uh, really jordan so i mean what what I was thinking about here, kind of, you know, as, as I was watching the game last night, and I, I brought this up on 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 Twitter, and and probably didn't do a kind of kind of a full, you know, explanation of it or or what have you, but uh, you know, it came up a couple times during the broadcast. The, this idea of you know the the Rams, I think it first came in the up in the context of they they mortgaged their future, and and then it came up a little bit later in in the context of uh, I, I I apologize, I didn't write down the specific quote, but it was something along the lines if they don't value draft picks and and it was kind of in the context of of why things or how things were going wrong this season and it just it kind of bugs me and and i i brought it up maybe in the in a roundabout way that that wasn't uh, exactly what i wanted to say but is there's a there's more to it there's a lot more to it than that and like so i, I want to start with three things very specific right rich let's, has let's start. his notebook guys You're i have, in an, for a I have treat. notes i have notes okay <laughs> three three things i want to say first of all Number one, the day the Rams won the Super Bowl, they it, it validated everything that they did. Full stop. We've said that before. The goal is to win the ring. Hundreds, thousands of people retire without winning a ring. If you can win the ring, you win the ring. Drafting is hard. Drafting is difficult in, in the NFL. There's a reason why so many teams don't get there. Uh, you can have the number one overall pick and still not get it right. A lot of times, drafting is Heart. There's a reason. There's a reason. I'm so sorry, Rich. Keep, no, keep, please keep that thought. But there's a reason why universally in buildings across the National Football League, a 33% hit rate on picks is considered successful. That is, you don't you don't pass to sixth grade in life if you have a 33% grade grade average. Like it's That's not right. that is not a good average. But there's a reason why that is considered to be a successful draft class. Continue. No, and and thank you. That that's important context. And and number three uh, of my uh, of my preamble is that injuries are by far the biggest reason why the Rams are where they are right now. Um, I'm not saying I don't know where they would be if they didn't have this number of injuries. I don't know, but I it's it's very clear that they are at this point because primarily because of of injuries. Okay, that said, to 
to get into the the two topics that were addressed, one of and, and I'll start with the the other one first. The other one was that the Rams don't value their draft picks, and and it can be a flippant comment. It can be something that you know wasn't meant to have a ton of depth behind it. But you look at it, and and it's it's just not true. And and I actually lo- I looked this up without knowing what the answer was. I didn't try to manufacture this. I was genuinely curious to see what the answer would be. I consider Jordan. And and if if you don't agree with this or others might not agree with it, I consider the first three rounds of the draft, generally speaking, to be your territory of finding a starter or finding somebody who can potentially develop into a starter. That's not a hard and fast rule. I don't have any numbers or science behind it. It's just anecdotally. It's what's in my head in terms of the first three rounds, basically the first hundred picks of the draft. Right. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. Okay, good. And, and and again, I'm not I'm not saying that's the gospel. I'm not saying that's that's firm. It's just generally what I think. Um, from 2017 to 2020, those those four drafts, the Rams had 12 picks in the first three rounds. The Chargers, and I used them only as an example because they happened to be the team that the Rams were playing yesterday. And there's a certain geographic sense to it. The Chargers in that same same time span have had 11 picks in the first three rounds. Now, I fully understand before anybody starts, you know, yelling at their radio or their their radio, like we're on the radio <laughs> at their phone or their computer. Um, first round picks are a different story. I understand that the Chargers had like three or four first round picks in that span. So I'm not drawing a straight line. I'm just saying in terms of if you're going to say that the Rams, quote unquote, don't value draft picks, that just doesn't hold water. Uh, you could say you could potentially make an argument that they don't value first round draft picks, although I would even argue against that because I would say that they just place a different value on them. Uh, They 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 use them as assets. They use them as capital. They just use them in different ways. They don't draft players. They use them to trade for established talent for superstars. So to say that they don't value them, I think, is not quite what you want to say in that situation. Okay. On to the other part. The other part is the strategy that the Rams have utilized. We we have said from the beginning since the time that you've covered the team and me going back to, you know, 2017, it is a higher risk strategy. It is a whatever you want to call it all in, you know, push your chips in you are you are not being meek and mild in this situation. You are going for it. And it does make your margin for error a little bit slimmer because the one way that you can add players consistently every year is through the draft. You can't necessarily make moves in free agency if you don't have money. You can't necessarily make trades if you don't have the assets to trade them and you don't have the trade partner. You can always add players through the draft. Uh, that's one way every year that you know you can re-energize your system a little bit is by adding players. So when you do what the Rams do, you're just you're taking away a couple fewer bullets every year when you don't have those first round picks. So certainly acknowledge that, understand that. We've all accepted that as the way that things are done. There's one way. There's one way to game that system. There's one way to get around that, to beat that. And that is to draft in those later rounds better than other teams. And in some cases, better than other teams are drafting in the first round or the second round. If you can do that, 
If you can kill the third round and you can kill the fourth round in, in those areas or even into the second round, you're gaming the system because you are bringing in players who are better than other teams are getting in the first round or early in the second round. And you go back to where the Rams were in 2017 or so, and they did that. You look at the list of players who they brought in, whether it was obviously we know Cooper Cup, we know John Johnson being uh, such a valuable part of that uh, uh, Super Bowl team at the time. Uh, Samson Nebucam, uh Gerald Everett, even even there was there was inconsistency there, but but he had some big games uh, for the Rams. Josh Reynolds, even a, a good uh, depth player uh, at receiver. They had those guys and, and that's where they were kind of gaming the system over the years there. And you look at it over the next few years and you've just seen there's been an undeniable slippage there mm-hmm. in terms of. Those picks, not only are if you're, when I'm talking about the Rams, not only are you not having first round picks, but now your percentage going back to your 33 percent, Jordan, which which is kind of the, the, the mean or whatever you wanted to use there. Not only do they not have the first round picks, but now you're drafting guys in the third round, especially and sometimes the second round, sometimes even to the fourth. And those guys aren't making it. And that is and and this is where I think, Jordan, maybe my uh, maybe I should have expressed this a little bit differently or clarified a little bit. I'm not saying that that is the reason why the Rams are where they are right now. You can't. And several people pointed out to me. Yeah, you can't get by with four string offensive linemen and expect to make the playoffs. Absolutely. Stipulate (laughs) that from the beginning. There's no question. That's our context the entire year. We should have just like our disclaimer. We should have. Yeah. we should have like a deep, right. like sort of uh, mysterious voice reading it at, in fast, in <laughs> fast forwarded way um, at the beginning of every episode. Like disclaimer, offensive line on third and fourth string. <laughs> yeah. But th- th- so the one thing but the one thing that I would caution Rams fans uh, against a little bit is also don't fall into the idea that just because there were a lot of injuries this year that that's it. Yeah. Um, that, you know, let's 2023 comes around, you, you, you have some positive regression back to normal health, um, and everything will be fine. Everything. I just want to caution against that a little bit, because this is where if, if, again, if you're going to game the system, if you're going to, if you're going to do that, that super aggressive play that the Rams have, have done for the last four years, you have to be able to walk that tightrope. You have to be able to walk it without falling off. They've yeah. done a great job in the late rounds. They've done a great job with undrafted free agents. I, I would I would venture to say they are ahead of the curve with with those sort of people. Whether you're talking about a Jordan Fuller or Tremaine Ankrum or you know some of the guys that they brought in of, as UDFA's, um, it, great job with those. But you also have to be able to hit on those mid-round guys. Yeah. Now, I don't know, Jordan. I mean, is it they, they've also taken some bigger swings in in those? You know, Terrell Lewis was was a bigger swing. Uh, we we knew his his injury uh, history uh, in in college. That was going to kind of be a boomer bust pick. Uh, Daryl Henderson, you could maybe put him in that category too, as a guy who you know easy could potentially be a game breaker or he could be potentially be a guy who just doesn't have a role in the NFL. And I, and I think it kind of 
sorted out the latter way in, in addition to some of the, the entries there. So I don't know, Jordan. I mean, we, we can talk about this more getting closer to the draft, but I don't know whether there has to be any type of adjustment there in terms of how aggressive are you being? I mean, Cooper Cup was an aggressive pick and that worked out. Mm-hmm. Pretty well. Pretty good. Uh, yeah. So I, yeah, I don't know whether you can say, well, they just need to go more conservative with their drafting or whatever. But whatever it is, Jordan, I just think they, they need to be able to hit on those those mid, you know, early to mid round picks that they do have. And, and I, I do think that 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 is going to be a huge part of, of getting this thing going back in the right direction again. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think that process can and or needs to be and probably will be um, getting a pretty thorough evaluation. But even that we can't look at in a vacuum because I absolutely agree with you. You have to have those those picks, those guys work out for you um, in ways that other teams aren't necessarily dependent on. But there's also sort of some nuance to it, like with all things that we talk about on this on this podcast, like with all things in life and football. the nuance to it is I I do, I am curious, and it's something that I'm going to be looking into a little bit more over the next couple of weeks is how does coaching attrition factor into um, this, some of the decisions that are made and the players who don't end up working out. Um, and and I, I could use Terrell Burgess as an example here because that was a Brandon, he was a Brandon Staley pick. And, um, you know, the Rams, they lose coaches and coordinators every year, every two years, and they go through so much change. Um, position coaches who have incredibly valuable insight and and are super involved in the draft process, particularly when it comes down to the wire, um, and and also in bringing in UDFA's. Like those guys have been turned over like crazy at at most places. The places where they haven't been are the places where I'd argue they've been pretty successful in drafting. Um, over the last uh, couple of years or so, I mean, we we have to see still, but um, the DBs, they sort of spammed really hard that area because um, they're, they know they kind of threw what they knew <laughs> in that in that phase this last season, they knew they were gonna have a bunch of turnover at the position and personnel. I wonder, <clears throat> I wonder how much coaching turnover and differences in philosophy and differences in priority and differences in how, those coaches know how they can develop a player versus how the other a previous coach thinks he can develop a player. Like, I wonder how much that factors into it, first of all, um, because I think that's a really underrated element to why they are struggling so much this year um, is, is some of that turnover in, in such a compounded space, including, you know, with the injuries and all of that too, as caveat, that's always going to be the number one thing. And then I also, I also wonder too, like, how the definitions of people of players assignments change or their expected roles change when they go from a guy who is drafted to probably be a supplemental player to a core star to then having to be that dude or to then having to be a guy like so for example and and this is where i would maybe use Charles lewis um yes the knee was always a risk you knew that was going to be a risk but he had you know, the pieces, you know, he walk in a room, everyone always said he could walk in a room and get a job because he just looks the part. He looks like he can rush the passer. The knee has always been an issue. The Rams were managing it pretty good, but it is what it is. Um, he went from being somebody who 
you think that he's going to be a situational pass rusher for you. This is what I have said since, you know, last year. You you project that he will be, because of the knee and the pitch count and all that, you project he will only always have to be a situational pass rusher who can make an impact in those situational areas for you because you also are of the understanding that you, in this defense, you will always have two above average, if not premier, pass rushers plus Aaron Donald. Two outside, two starting outside linebackers, two full-time starting outside linebackers, one who can rotate with a situational pass rusher. So you're gonna you're looking at a three deep at outside linebacker always with this defense. And so then you go from okay, he is going to be a situational guy to oh no, we missed Von Miller and now and we couldn't get a pass rusher. And so now we need him to be that dude. And he's not. And then he's released. So I think that there's also some context to apply with how roles are assigned and really assessing what ceilings and floors can be for the draft picks that they bring in. It's almost impossible to predict. And that's why the draft is so difficult is because you almost can never truly accurately project who a guy can be for you or what they can produce for you. But those two items to me and and the amount of change they've undergone and the amount of, of injury issues all combined in the same area, that is an element, a very, very underrated, little discussed element to this entire conversation is how those factors also dramatically change the overall success or failure in sequence um, of, of players who you you draft. Daryl Henderson was never drafted to be a lead running back. No. If he was yeah. if he was supposed to be a lead back, he would have been a lead back by now. Um for 4 years they did not make him a lead back. They always went committee with him, okay? So once you have some issues, you know, 2021 when they when Cam was hurt and they were fi- trying to figure out how to complement Daryl and then this year what a what a potential committee would look like when it becomes clear that it's it's actually a better option to go with a lead guy who is sort of on an upward trajectory despite some of the chaos of the of the year versus a guy who no longer fits the role that you had assigned to him that's when cuts happen but that's also when it looks like you've had failed draft classes so i think there's just some some as always some really interesting fascinating nuance to all of this but End of the day, Rich, I absolutely 100% agree that, that when you, you know, when you do look at it on paper and and you look at sort of necessary change and necessary um, analysis of process, that is absolutely a phase that they need to do a deep study on. Oh, yeah. And and that, that's really, really important context, Jordan. And, and I think circles back to, you know, my, my initial point, too, which is, Drafting is hard, um, and it's it's very easy for me or anybody That's else. That's the shirt to, Les will wear this year. Drafting dra- is yeah, hard. And drafting is hard, <laughs> and it is. Like I don't I don't mean that to sound you know simple, but I mean it is. It's very easy to sit here on the couch and say, well, they need to draft better. Because that's not it's not what it is. It's not a matter of like, oh, they're just not evaluating guys the right way. Circumstances happen. Things change. Injuries happen. Uh, like you said, I mean, D- Daryl Henderson, great example. They drafted Daryl Henderson to be a compliment to Todd Gurley. Like, I mean, that's how far back we're going on this to when Todd Gurley was arguably the lead back in the NFL and and they wanted somebody to come in and, and be kind of that compliment with an E 
to uh, to Todd Gurley. <laughs> um, and that that's how far back we go on that. So so to judge Daryl Henderson, you had you do have to put it in that context. But but again, th- there is also a certain bottom line element to it. And there's a reason why not all of these GMs make it in the long term is that you do whatever the circumstances are, whatever things change, whatever bad luck you may have. You still got to find a way like you still got to find a way to turn some of those guys into players. And when you're the Rams, it just it turns up the temperature a little bit when you're also trading away a lot of your first round picks, which, again, I don't think it's a bad strategy. And and that's kind of where I started with this is I get annoyed by the narrative that was somehow put into place that, oh, the Rams mortgaged their future or, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, they, they won the Super Bowl, but this was just destined to be a failure. It's not. It's not. It it does make it harder, but it is not impossible. It does not set you up for absolute certain failure. Um, and and as many people pointed out, if they didn't have injuries, they wouldn't be in this spot. But there's another side of it is to where you just increase your degree of difficulty in other areas because you can't waste money. You can't waste roster spots the way that maybe some teams have the ability. Yeah, they got a little more wiggle room. They don't have the talent that the Rams have on the top end, but they have a little bit more wiggle room in other parts of their, of their lineup and their organization. The Rams don't have that. It doesn't mean they're destined to fail. It doesn't mean that it's a bad strategy. It doesn't mean that they have now doomed themselves to years of mediocrity. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means that they have to do some things better than other teams do. And I think this is just the one little microcosm or one little point to whatever it is, whether it's a certain amount of luck, whether it's like you said, you know, some stability and 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 bringing in people who are going to fit for you for the long term, whatever it is uh, that they're going to have to find a way through some combination of luck and skill uh, to to do a little bit better with that. So I, I think that's going to be a fascinating part uh, as we start heading into draft prep into february and march uh to to see you know how they how they approach that sort of thing but yeah uh, it is a fascinating conversation and it's something that um you know that part of it the team building part of it i really love getting into because it's some some of the things everyone says like oh football cyclical and it is but some of the conversations are cyclical too and i just i hearken back to like you know, what was it? November of 2021, where the whole thing, it was like, there were five pieces in 538 that was all over the morning shows and everything where people generally just like yell at each other, where it's just like, uh, the Rams mortgaged their future by going all in and it's not working. And it was like, you know, the, what was it? The all glitter stuff at the time. And and it was just, it was really, and then they, and then they completely changed their fate and their fortune and it worked. And the strategy, they won the Super Bowl because of that strategy. And because they added, like I said, they added key, de- they had key def- defensive players and added a key elite pass rusher at the right time to make their entire defensive scheme come alive in the way that it is intended and get really creative, even to the point where you're winning with a 37 year old safety cranked down into the box, because you understand that you have that flexibility at this point when you can consistently rush the passer. I digress. Um, 
And I think like it, what is so interesting to me is like now, and it worked. And then now it's like a completely different thesis, but it's the same catchphrase of like mortgaging their future. And I think it's a good point that you made, Rich, because it's like, this is the, this is the, the pact that they made with each other. Um, Kevin Demoff, Sean McVay, Les Snead, Tony Pasteur's. This is the agreement that they all made with each other. They were willing to accept and take on that level of risk because they understood that it was what could push them through a parity-driven and um, very, very uh, structured for a you know, e- you know, equity, I guess, um, league, and only by forcing the needle to move could you then you know go on that journey and and take that ride and. We know this. I mean, we have talked about this for now a couple of years, written about it ad nauseum. It doesn't take away the fact that, you know, they're in a absolutely terrible situation right now that is, you know, was incredibly uh, spurred by the rate of injury, especially in compounded positions. Um, It doesn't mean that it's any less risk moving forward. All I'm saying is that they understand those risks and they that's the pact that they made is that they're going to operate on the high wire because they understand what's at the end of it. Um, and I think that that's what you're going to, as long as this group stays together, that is what you're going to continue to see, which is why I keep making jokes about how crazy 2023 off season is going to be because like it might seem quiet and then all of a sudden things will start happening. Right. And then all of a sudden we're going to see what the picture that for it's like a paint my number. It's like, you're going to see all of a sudden what picture starts to form. And I think that that's what I have so enjoyed about covering this team is, you know, you know that you're not sitting still. I joke all the time with you, Rich, they cannot do anything in the middle anymore. They just decided Mm -hmm. they're not going to do that. They're either colossally historically bad for a variety of of some some self-inflicted and other environmental reasons that are just like grenade after grenade after grenade and total implosion like and or they are you know contenders there's not really going to be an in-between period i don't think for this group and i i might even argue that if they would have stayed healthy based on the way the league went this year that might've looked like an in-between period for this group, but they don't function that way. Ecosystemically, they do not function that way. It was, it's almost like nature stepped in and was like, you can't exist within this (laughs) environment. So F you essentially, because because the the temerity of their ecosystem is not built to function within that middle middle ground right right <laughs> Such a, i'm I've going galaxy thought. brain i don't even care <laughs> <laughs> i really like that yeah but no, you, you're right. all my uh i i dropped two s yeah. words and one f word today by the way sorry yeah, about that uh, you, and, you and cam Akers. Yeah. <laughs> he bleeped um, it out <laughs> oh did he oh he he's censored saying, himself he's so. laughing he was very polite yeah, okay. i was just like oh <laughs> right. man I, like, I don't, I don't think he bleeped it out on the field. No. I don't think Nazir, no, yeah. No, but he was very, very polite when he was talking about it with me. It was really funny. He was like, ooh, I don't know if I can. You know what? I'm going to bleep yeah. it out. Yeah, yeah. Uh. Cam, Cam knew his mom might be uh, might be listening. He didn't, he didn't want to hear about it uh, later on. Uh, we've all been there. <laughs> the the old um, Sean McVay move. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, it's so, so funny, Jordan. That's such a good way of looking at it. I've never thought of it that way. But yeah, I mean, everything about the NFL is designed to push you to the middle. I mean, that's that's the way everything is set up from the salary cap to the draft to the you know roster limits or whatever. It's it's all designed to push teams to the middle like that. That's what the league wants. And, and the teams that are going beyond that are the teams that are pushing it. They're trying to break that model. They're trying to get out of it and say, I know what you're trying to do to us, NFL. I know you're trying to put us in this little box, but we're going to do something and, and break out of it. And, and it's, it's, it's a high risk strategy. Uh, but, but it's one that I, you know, I know from your perspective, Jordan, it's, uh, it's fascinating to cover. And I honestly think I, you know, I can't speak from the fans perspective, but I, I would rather have that. I would rather have the team that is is going for it, is pushing the envelope instead of sitting there, you know, accepting kind of the mean and hoping that at some point they're going to, you know, catch fire and go on a run. It's possible. Uh, but I, I think if you're a fan to, to know that your team, that your organization is out there pushing boundaries and and going for it, uh, I, I, I don't know if, 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 if I'm a fan in that situation, I I can't be upset about that, even if there's times that. Um, make it a little more more difficult so uh we appreciate that uh, you know uh, i had some great feedback going back and and forth uh, uh last night and and jordan i, I know we we appreciate it uh, certainly when it's when it's respectful and and i know that we always respond better too uh when i know i i speak for myself i'm much more inclined to to engage and interact and uh, even admit when i'm wrong because uh, you know what it does happen sometimes it sometimes <laughs> does happen that i'm wrong but uh I appreciate those folks who do uh you're wrong about bone Bone and was, white. Uh, yeah, combo. yeah. Well, no, nah, I don't. I don't know. I think I'm you're just, wrong I'm gonna, about that. <laughs> I'm gonna die on that hill. But but you know what I mean, Jordan, right? I, I think I think we're kind of on the same page with this yeah. stuff. Yeah, I think so too. I'm I'm just like you know, as the new year begins, I just want to just express such gratitude for everybody for following along. I think this is such a unique and cool fan base in that it's you guys are all on this ride of a team that's doing things differently. So your brains are automatically subconsciously thinking differently and, and like processing things and and curious and wanting to learn. And I really feel that from this group. And I'm so appreciative of that. I also know that it's been a really frustrating year. And um, while I can't personally make any changes, although sometimes I think that certain people think that I am responsible for them based on the nature of the tweets that I get at times, uh, and certainly a small, a small, uh, but vocal minority of people in that regard. But the majority had just been uh, so wonderful. And I and I will say, like, it is one of the great joys of my job to in- interact and engage with the fan base. That does mean that I am seeing tweets, that I am lurking, that I am reading stuff and trying to uh, seek out kind of what the vibe is and what people are talking about, um, whether you see me, um, my uh, presence there or not. Um, I'm always curious about what's going on in you guys' heads. Um, and that said, um, it means that I do see a lot of the, I think, uh, outliers, which is um, where it crosses from fair criticism and dialogue into sort of harmful uh, toxicity or um, some some concerning some concerning things. Uh, that that I personally have kind of been monitoring. So um, I, I think in 2023, I, I do want to make sure that I'm setting healthier boundaries in that regard. 
um, of not interacting with um, and and perhaps even uh, muting or blocking out that type of, of specific outlier. But again, very, very vocal uh, or excuse me, very, very small minority of people um, in that regard or, or maybe a created account. I don't know, burner account. I don't know if it's even real people, but right. um, but all of this to say that to that point, it has been so cool watching everybody sort of learn and process what is happening this year. And there's a lot of hopefulness toward the future, which has really been cool. And there's a lot of thoughtfulness about the present and problem solving. And I just think that's really neat. And so I wanted to shout out the fan base, um, listeners, subscribers. Um, and you may not always uh, see me, but I definitely can can see and hear you. And for those who have stayed curious and um, interactive and and kind, even when things are hard, um, genuine, sincere thank you to those people as well. Absolutely. Well, well said, Jordan. Uh, we, we love interacting with people. I mean, I, I know I'm, I'm no longer on the beat, so I don't want to put myself in the same shoes as you, but uh, I know I always got a lot out of that. And uh, when, when it can be uh, respectful and and I know people just vent sometimes like and I, I get that but but just you know uh, understand that as Jordan said we don't have the power to change things um and uh, so it's fine if you want to vent a little bit but um the, the the conversations that are that are civil even if they're challenging sometimes are uh are the ones that I really enjoy and, and get a lot out of so thank you to everybody who does that and uh we'll continue to foster that type of community uh going into 2023 and and uh, keep it really healthy and fun and all of that stuff and uh I, I love it I love it when people who don't follow me um retweet and quote tweet my uniform takes like and and don't understand the humor behind it like it just, it's a bit, it just guys it's a bit it just brings me such joy when <laughs> when they don't when they don't understand the bit but uh one more game jordan rams at seahawks um there's there's some stuff at stake there it'll be raining uh, it'll, it's, it'll be raining it definitely will be raining crossing the finish line jordan rodrigue uh another fantastic season at the helm of the rams beat um looking forward to everything that you're going to bring to our readers and subscribers in 2023 i know there's a great story just about to drop depending on uh when this podcast gets published and when that story gets published maybe those will coincide but uh if not very soon after that i know our readers are really really going to enjoy thank you to our all of our subscribers and if you're not yet on board here's the deal you subscribe right now to the athletic Go to theathletic.com slash 11 personnel. We will have you covered for the entirety of the 2023 offseason and pretty much the entirety of the 2023 season. You're going to get all of that if you sign up today. And you're going to make Jordan happy to start off 2023 by getting her favorite thing in the entire world, which is what? A great discount. You guys, anytime you subscribe to The Athletic, through the 11 personnel podcast, you get my favorite thing in the world. Years change, seasons change, people change. This does not change. It's my favorite thing in the entire world. A great discount. Guys, happy new year. I really genuinely hope it is happy. Uh, my new year is neck is a week from today, which is next Monday after the Rams season officially ends. Um, wishing you guys all um, joy and calm and success and peace and kindness to yourselves and kindness to one another. Wishing you lots of caffeine, lots of hydration. See you next time.